The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome to The Paddock in the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. In episode two of What Was It Like To? I had the great pleasure, thanks to an introduction from Richard Pittman, to chat to Charlie Fennick, the American amateur jockey who won the Grand National in 1980 on Ben Nevis. What was it like to win the Grand National? Uh, winning the Grand National was certainly a life-defining um, experience for me. Um, i not sure it changed the trajectory, um, uh, but it gave credibility to what I was trying to do. I certainly did that. Um, it had been an aspiration of mine forever, bucket list kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's, uh, so it was a life defining, I would say, uh, wonderful experience. Absolutely wonderful. So it was a, a dream you'd, you'd always had because there was a family connection with the Grand National, wasn't there? Well, uh, yes, there's, there's, there, there's sort of two connections. One, uh, my grandfather, uh, Howard Bruce, owned a horse named Billy Barton, who ran in the Grand National, and I think it was... Uh, 1928. 1928, yeah. Okay. And I think there were 60-plus runners and two finishers, um, and he was second. Uh, the the uh, jockey fell off at the last and was thrown back up. And Tipperary Tim was the winner, and uh, family lore was, and it's, I think it's true, Tipperary Tim was a tubed horse. And I can remember seeing an old, old video of him coming into the winner's enclosure at Aintree, and, you, and it was a very cold, muggy day, and you can see the breath coming out of his neck. Um, uh, so the tubing didn't work. Um, and then... The other connection was, uh, which probably had more to do with me, was Jay Trump. Um, and Jay Trump was trained uh, by my uncle, um, Bobby Fenwick. Um, and he was obviously ridden by Tommy Smith. Um, and uh, Bobby Fenwick was involved with the early uh, times, maybe the first Maryland Hunt Cup, but maybe not the second, um, with uh, Jay Trump and 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 he lived. We lived in the same community. Uh, I was a an impressionable teenager, um, um, seventeen years old in nineteen sixty five, um, and loving uh, steeplechasing, loving timber racing in our country. And then to see Jay Trump and Tommy Smith win the Grand National 
it just sort of said, you know, it's, it's doable. It's doable. Um, possibly I could do that someday. And it was, it was very, very exciting. I remember my brother and I listening on a shortwave radio to the race. Um, so um, that had a lot to do with my aspirations uh, towards the Aintree uh, Grand National. Well, thanks for that. But you, you also need a, a horse to the right horse to win the Grand National. And, and Ben Nevis was bred in England. How did you come about getting involved with Ben Nevis? <laughs> well, that's another uh, story. So, uh, and I think this is all true. Um, my father-in-law, Redmond Stewart, often went to Yorkshire to shoot grouse. And um, so in, um, I think it was 74, uh, 1974, he's there. And someone tells him at dinner one night uh, that he has a horse and he says he's got lots of talent, but he's not managing. And the lore was that my father-in-law said, well, I have a son-in-law who has talent, but not manageable. Maybe this would work. And uh, he sent, and again, this is what ties in. Bobby Fenwick was with him. They were there uh, together. And he went, saw the horse. Bobby went and saw the horse the next day. He said he threw a stone at the horse just to make him trot across the field. And he was sound. So that's the, that's the amount of research that went into buying this horse. Um, and he came to us and he was unmanageable. He was really difficult, um, um, tough to even get on. Um, so, um, but we were able to do it, but we did not, my wife and I did not think this was going to work out. This was going to end well, um, but we were totally wrong, totally wrong. And he proved very successful in America. He won the Maryland Hunt Cup twice, didn't he? He won the, he won, he ran in the United States 12 times and he was undefeated. Uh, and he won the Maryland Hunt Cup and went his second uh, time. He took eight seconds off the course record. He won our Grand National, which is similar to the Maryland Hunt Cup the week before. And he also set a course record there. So by the end of the spring of 1978, uh, he had done all that you needed to do to say, do you deserve a, a shot at the Grand National? And uh, so, uh, and we all wanted to take that shot. I would, I would say that. So, uh, uh, and we had, you know, certainly on paper, there was no reason not to send him. And in those days, he was, automatically qualified for the grand national having won the maryland hunt cup he wasn't handicapped he had to go through the handicapping process but he was qualified so the door was wide open for us i would put it that way but there was a lot to plan for you to come over yes. and the horse to come over to to actually get to line up in the 1979 grand national correct and uh my wife my three children and a nanny we all we all went over uh, and uh, I had been over earlier and talked with a variety of trainers. Uh, Tim Forster, um, to me, made the most sense uh, at that time. And um, 
I, I fell in love with Lecton Bassett. Uh, and in fact, uh, courtesy of Cecilia Knight, uh, at the time, we were able to uh, make an arrangement to, for my our family to live in where Henrietta Knight lives now in uh, West Lockinge, which was not a 10-minute drive from Meccombassett. So everything kind of fell into place with Forster um, uh, and the house. So we, we all moved over in November of 78. We were there for four and a half months. Uh, Children went to two of the children went to school. The youngest was not a year. Uh, she was born in the summer of '77 uh, and lived in a bathtub. Slept in a bathtub in Henrietta Knight's house. So uh, it was all working out. It was all coming together. And how did you manage your your own work? Because you were you were a merchant banker. Well. Uh, I actually that at that point was switching careers, and uh, I was a, a a banker. And after that, I became a uh, an automobile uh, car dealer um, in our area. So it was that was another sort of convenience of the whole thing. And what about fitness and and riding in the UK? Well, uh, uh, that was a project. Um, I did. I rode some races, not many, and I don't think I was really. Once in Ireland, I was on a good horse, but uh, uh, I I did run, uh, uh, jogged um, every day. I would say every day, at least five miles. I love playing squash. I found um, a village that had a. I can't remember the village name. It wasn't far from Lockinge whether it was a squash court or a couple guys that wanted to play squash. So, and then there was a, a club up in Ditkut and I played up there. Uh, so, and I would ride whatever I could ride at Forster's, but fitness, I think fitness was fine. It was, but what went with fitness was maybe even more important was the weight and I had to lose some weight. And so getting fit was the best way to lose weight um, for me. So, Red, you were coached by Graham Thorner, who'd won the Grand National for Tim Forster yes. in 1972. That's correct. Graham was a stable jockey for Forster at that time, and uh, he could not have possibly been more helpful, nor could anybody else have been more helpful than Graham Thorner was to me uh, during that, um, that time. Uh, uh, I would be forever grateful for that. Uh, not only... Uh, dealing with what Aintree might be like, but just the, everything, even dealing with Captain Forster to some degree. Uh, he was uh, he was very helpful. Uh, and we sort of knew what we thought, how Ben should be trained, and that didn't always meet with what Tim had in mind. So there were times when we all had to sort of put our heads together and figure this out and Sometimes that was trickier than other times, frankly. But Graham was, uh, looking back on it, Graham was a great mediator uh, that helped us stay on the path we wanted to be on. Although in your first race in this country at Devon and Exeter, you, you unseated, I think, December 1978. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Two-mile race, uh, and 
that's correct. I, I was, I'm not sure I was unseated. I think I was lying on the ground beside the horse. Um, frankly, that's my recollection. Um, yeah, that's my recollection. <laughs> that's my story. And I'm going to stick to it. I couldn't have been more shocked. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I both were just sort of, I don't know if devastated is quite where we were, but, um, wow. Um, and, um, so it was, you know, it was a, a real eye opener for us. Um, and, and we sort of thought this was, we had something that was invincible and he had been, he had been. Um, and, um, so it was a real, um, back to earth moment. I would say, um, that whole year was a back to earth moment, I'm afraid. But how, how did preparations go? You, you, you ran in the King, well, King George as well, didn't you? I know, I know. And uh, that was not a great idea. Um, and that was Tim's idea. <laughs> uh, and he was, uh, it, was a, it was an experience. It was a great experience for me. I can always say I rode in the King. <laughs> oh, God. Tommy Carvey was on something. And it always. Ty Cottage, the- I think. And it always jumped to the left and Kempton was a right-handed course. And uh, we were down at the start. <laughs> Someone said, Tommy, there's a horse always jumped to the left. And he said, yeah, when he jumps, he jumps to the left. And I thought, now I got to worry about whether he's even going to jump, much less go to the left. Um, so, uh, and so we were, that was not where we, should have been um but we got around and um got some fitness and then we ran a few more times and we were not invincible um we were but we were doing okay we were doing okay um we were having a a reckoning with reality i think um to be honest and that continued to be the case for the year for most of, and the next year, for the most part, um, I will say though there was a reckoning going on, but it was a wonderful experience. Um, and uh, my wife and I will never uh, forget it. And it was it was wonderful. Well, you went to post at Aintree on the thirty first of March, nineteen seventy nine, as the as a fourteen to one shot fourth favorite carrying 11 stone two pounds how did you feel at the start line of the world's most famous race well uh it was exciting to be there um i'll say that um it was exciting um amazing and uh, uh i thought he went uh i thought he did it what he did there was he did well we'd had nothing but traffic problems um my recollection um and it was a it was a you know it was a you can ride a lot of races in england but you're never prepared to ride at entry uh, i don't think i wasn't uh, and you you look at the drops and you think about it look at videos whatnot that's not really enough preparation <laughs> you gotta you gotta come down over the features to understand what it's like um, and I was, uh, I 
again, it was another come to Jesus moment, sort of, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and it just seemed that we were having traffic problems. And then we get to the chair and um, there's a, when we get to the chair, there's a horse in the ditch. And my recollection is we had to jump the ditch, a horse and the fence. Um, and we did the ditch and we did the horse, but we couldn't get through the fence. Um, and he hit it hard. And uh, that time I was unseated um, and uh, foolishly remounted and jumped the uh, water jumping and pulled up. Well, I'd recommend so, anyone. I'd recommend anyone to watch it on YouTube because these two loose horses go out and then they come at right angles, right across the, right across in front of the field. Nine horses fell at the the, the chair. Yes, nine horses. Yeah, that year, and they changed the wing on the right hand side after that, and I think it became much shorter because those, those horses got committed to the chair, you know. 50 yards before the fence kind of, because there was no way out. They were, they were in a funnel of sorts. So anyway, uh, uh, and then we ran, then he ran in France at Otoy one time. That was not a great idea either. Um, Graham rode him there. The weight was something less than 10 stone, I think, sort of. It was, um, and it was a two and a half mile race around that, Roll steep course, I guess, at Otoy. I was not there. And my wife went over. Um, couldn't figure out the bullfinch. And a lot of it was, he must have thought we were crazy. Um, so, anyway, we go forward to. Yeah, when, you, when, did you, when did you then make the decision to have another crack at the, the Grand National? It was that, it was that summer. Uh, and I had a. Uh, uh, I had won the Maryland Hunt Cup in 79 on a horse named Dosdy that belonged to my mother. Uh, and I had worked a, I'd worked for a good while keeping those two horses apart. Um, he was a very good horse. It was a timber horse of the year, a couple of years at that time. And, uh, and you know, he won the Maryland Hunt Cup. So he was in the same class as Ben Nevis was. And um, I didn't really need to have to deal with, and he was owned by my mother and Ben was owned by my father-in-law. So keeping them apart was a good idea. Um, and uh, so uh, we agreed to leave him over there for one more year. We, we have this um, uh Similar experiences, I would say, uh, in the lead up to the 1980 Grand National. He ran a number of times, but nothing was particularly spectacular um, uh, in but, the, up the race. But in 1979-80, you, you were commuting across to, to ride him, weren't you? I did. I think that year I came across 12 times. And I know one time we came and spent four or five days waiting for decent weather and couldn't find it and went home. And the horse ran two days later. Um, Ewell Davies rode him, I think. Uh, I think that's, I think he was riding for Tim at that point. Uh, Graham had retired. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, again, he there wasn't setting the world on fire. 
as far as the Grand National prospect or any kind of prospect, uh, we get there. The I don't remember whether they were calling it heavy, but it certainly was soft. Standing water as you go from the uh, towards the uh, beachers uh, in the ground. You can see at the video now. You can see splashes. And we always thought he wanted hard ground, so hard, firm ground. Um, he certainly loved that in the United States. I think some time would say he was going to perform okay wherever we put him. Um, so we, and I remember Forster saying that if it weren't for us and the American connection, he wouldn't run the horse in the race because it was too soft. Um, uh, but, you know, History proved that it was the right thing to do. I guess there were there were thirty runners that day. Uh, it's crazy, and there were four finishers. Um, and Ben uh, and and where the year before we had nothing but traffic problems. Uh, this year, obviously, there were lots of problems, and we were the. I think we were the. I think we were the last one to say this. We were the last one coming back across the Melling Road the first time. Um, um, and then the race completely falls apart uh, after the chair. And um, water jumping head back out. And all of a sudden, we're right there. Uh, and we go down over the next six fences with Del Moss. Tommy McGivern, I think. Um, and, uh, and all of a sudden, we're in front. We're, you know... <laughs> We're heading head for the lead. And he had not been in front in a race in that side of the Atlantic since he'd been there. Um, and then Delmos falls at Beechers. And um, now he's in front and he's looking around. Where do we go? What's going on? Uh, sort of have to slap him. To, Let's keep going. Um, and then uh, we jumped the canal turn and head back up to those fences. And there is a road right on the inside of the rail. And there's a truck on the road with a camera. And if you look at the video, I mean, film, you see this, they're videoing. And Ben sees that truck as being something to compete with. And he's galloping. He picks up the bit because that truck's there. And uh, which was wonderful, you know, <laughs> he's running with the truck and the truck's going to stay with him. So we're not going to go too fast. And what's um, it like being on your own at the, at the front? I, I, I'm now thinking of your, your uh, close friend, Richard Pittman, who, of course, was a yeah, long way in yeah. front with, with uh, Crisp yeah. in 1973. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we are a little bit the same way. Uh, after that, we come back across the, the Melling Road, and he's he's doing fine though, and uh, and he's galloping on, he's galloping on. He isn't going to go any faster, and we don't need to go any faster. We just don't want to go any slower. Um, but I felt like he could have galloped like that, go another turn. Um, it was wonderful. Um, I did, and this is more me. I did might have hit him a couple of times, which probably didn't do any good for anybody. But uh, I was, and I'm not sure I was aware that. John Franken was behind me uh, on Rough and Tumble. Um, and I'm not, I, I, I was not aware that there, the horse was 20 lengths behind me. I, I will say that. Um, so, um, but it all worked out. I certainly did. Certainly did. 
What what did it um, uh, did it feel like immediately after the race when you're uh, in a sort of a few moments? You're one of the most famous people in the world. Yeah, and I don't think that uh, I don't think I had much of a feeling about that at that time. It was just sort of let's keep moving. We got and we were we were leaving there, and uh, my father, my mother. Uh, uh, were there i had a brother uh there were friends and we we wanted to get we didn't want to get out of Ainfield, but we we were we were planning to go home that night to drive home that night so uh we're driving it was graham and uh, johnny shaw a dear friend uh ann and i driving uh, and we were headed to burford we were gonna meet some people at burford for dinner and then you, it's some, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock news. You know, the news is, well, this is crazy, but an American happened to win the Grand National today. And and uh, and that's when it began to sink in. Jeezy, peasy, this is, this might be something, you know. And we had this wonderful dinner, the Cotswold Gateway in Burford. And a, a bunch of people from the Lecom Bassett Lamborn area friends came there for dinner and a, a bunch of us came down uh stopped there and it was uh it turned out also in there but andy turnell and john franken were also having dinner that night uh we all ran up at 10 o'clock we ran upstairs to the television room I, this was and there were it was like a retirement community up there, and there were a bunch of elderly people watching Peyton Place or something of uh, Dallas. And uh, and we go, no, no, we got to turn the channel. We got to watch the news and watch see what they have to say about the Grand National. Um, and then the next morning, the horse returned uh, to Lecom Bassett, and um, there were there never been i don't know never been there were a lot of people in that combat and it wasn't built for that many people and it was a wonderful celebration of him coming home uh back there it was it was it was wonderful um, the, the whole thing was a miraculous experience and what happened to ben nevis after he won the race did he did he race again no nope, that was it he was 12 years old he was uh I'm not. I, I. I. I'm not sure about this, but I don't. I felt like maybe the 11 year old Ben might have been a little bit better, um, and certainly the 13 year old Ben wasn't going to be better. Uh, and he had done all that we could ask him to do, um, so he retired. And he was not going to be anybody's fox hunter. He wasn't going to be a. So he was sort of pension for the rest of his life, and he lived for another. Uh, eight or nine years, something like that, um, uh, just as a pensioner. And he was, he was difficult to get on. He was a difficult to ride, pulled all the time, but in the stall, he couldn't have been a sweeter, kinder animal. He was wonderful. He was a great friend. Uh, he was with other pensioners. Uh, he's a wonderful animal. Well, he certainly proved a, a, a sensible purchase, didn't he? I know you said, Talented, but uh, not manageable. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And is it and, a race uh, that you still tune into every year? Uh, I would love to say every year. Uh, 
I'm not sure I get it every year. I make an effort and I, and I, and I am aware of the buildup to the race. I am aware of that. Um, and it's, uh, it is exciting. It is, uh, it's such an honor, um, to have been a part of a wonderful, um, event and tradition. With your family connection, you were putting right what nearly happened in 1928. Yeah. I'll tell you just a quick story. A quick, quick story. One day I'm riding him in Lickham Bassett. This is maybe the first year. And there's a guy who delivers the paper in the morning. Old, old man. And he says to me, uh, is that the Maryland Hunt Cup winner? I said, yes. And he said, I rode one. And I said, yeah. Yep, I rode Billy Barton. And I said, and this is 1978. And he said, yep, I want to race on him in Newbury. And, um, and it turned out that this guy had ridden the horse as an apprentice in his first race. Uh, at, and it was at Newbury. He won. Then they thought, well, this horse is too good to be ridden by this apprentice. So they put top-notch professional on him. He never won another race. Um, but Morgan had in his house a picture of himself jumping the water jump at Newbury in 1978. No, 1928. 1928. And there was a picture of Ben jumping the water jump at Newbury in 1978. Uh, so I gave... I, 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 Morgan lent me the picture, made a copy of it, and then gave my mother a little composite of her father's horse jumping the water jump at Newbury in 1928 and her son jumping the same fence in 1978. And uh, she had that uh, she had that in a prominent place. Uh, so, And the idea that we would run into Tommy Morgan in Leckham Bassett is just crazy. Um, but it was fun. Oh, what a wonderful moment. And uh, thank you, Charlie, for sharing your what was it like to moment. Thank you very much. It's an honor to um, do this with you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Path. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.